We're continuing our summer series on the book of Psalms, and we're in Psalm number 50 for our text today. Psalm number 50 for our text today. Psalm number 50. Many years ago, I was a part of a church that built a new building. And on that property, there was an old house that we were working on remodeling so it could be a parsonage. And there was a fellow who was a construction teacher at BOCES who offered to guide us through the project. And he was a great help overseeing the project and uh, using his expertise to help complete the project, telling us how to proceed. Well, there was probably six or seven volunteers that did most of the work. And on the back of the house was a little small room that extended off the main house. And it needed shingles. And one Saturday morning, there were some shingles someone donated for the roof. The shingles were the same color as the rest of the roof, but a different style. And a friend of mine named Mark and I were there. And we knew the roof needed shingling, so we thought we might as well do the job. And I said, have you ever used shingles like this before? He said, no, but I'm sure we can figure it out. And so we, they were called interlock shingles. And so we figured out how the shingles interlocked, and we tried a few, and they seemed to be covering the roof. So off we went. In a couple of hours, we had all the shingles on the roof. After a while, the project manager came, and we told him that we had shingled the roof. And he said, oh, great. And he went out to look at the roof, and he paused. And he looked at the roof, and then he paused. And he looked some more. And finally he said, well, he said, I think it'll shed water, but I've never seen a roof shingle quite like that before. Now, he was a kind man <laughs> and knew he was working with volunteers. And so he asked, uh, what do you mean you've never seen a roof like that before? He said, well, the shingles are on upside down and backwards. <laughs> well, I think it will shed water, so I guess it will work. So, so we did the whole roof wrong, the whole thing, because we never used those shingles like that before. I don't know that anyone ever changed it, and maybe to this day that roof is still upside down and backwards. <laughs> it comes when people don't understand the way things work. You do a whole project and it's all wrong. And in our psalm today, something has been done and it's all wrong. It's upside down and backwards. And only it's much more important than a little roof. And so this psalm explains how it was done wrong. And God himself says, you got it all wrong. I'm going to explain to you why it's wrong and how to do it right. So let's see what it was that was done upside down and backwards. And let's see how to correct it. Psalm number 50, you'll see that there's an introduction. It says a psalm of Asaph. And we think he was one of the master musicians at the temple. He either wrote the psalm or performed it, one or the other, or maybe both. David had written songs for Asaph to sing, specifically for him. So we can't be sure. But at any rate, the psalm begins with a bang. 
A big, bold statement, an impressive situation is described for us to really get our attention. So here we go, Psalm number 50 in verse 1. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. God, it says, the mighty God, the Lord, has spoken. In the Hebrew language, there's two names, Elohim, Jehovah, speaks. Elohim means the Almighty, the Creator, a God full of power. And Jehovah is the Holy One, the God so sinless and perfect that you don't dare say His name out loud. And so Elohim Jehovah has spoken. He's spoken from heaven with a voice of authority. And his voice, he says, echoes through the whole world from the rising sun way in the east to the setting sun in the west. The command is given and all the human race is called to attention. If you're alive and human, God says, pay attention. I'm about to talk. Verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God has shined. Mount Zion was the place where the temple of God was in Jerusalem. And in the midst of where God's people gathered, there God was speaking. God is there. He shines, as a matter of fact. God is stunning. He sends out a great light, His truth, His commandments from the midst of His people. My friend, God is supposed to shine wherever His people are. Join in worship. How many people does it take? The Bible says where two or three are gathered. God's in the midst. And his truth should be the shining light that beams out of the meeting place of the people of God. There's an old song that says, Jesus, wherever thy people meet, there they behold the mercy seat. And wherever they seek thee, thou art found. And every place is hallowed ground. We used to sing that little song when we met for church 34 years ago in my living room. And we sang it because it's such a humble place, such an ordinary place, just my living room. And we sang that song every week. And from that humble place, a light has shone. And here we are here today. The light is shining. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 3, our God shall come, shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. <coughs> Uh-oh. God comes with a storm, he says, and with fire. A storm that upsets the whole world. And fire that will burn up the wood, hay, and the stubble. He comes to be a judge, to pass sentence. Something is wrong, and he comes to set it right. Verse 5 and 6. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. He intends to deal with his own people first. His people that God had made an agreement with 
a contract, a covenant, which means that promises were made and expected to be kept. So God has come who always keeps his promise. And he's come to set it right. There is no other person who is allowed to sit on the throne of judgment. He says, is God himself come to sit on that throne and pass judgment? And then it says, Selah after that, which means you better stop and think about that. Stop and think about it. God who sees all, God who knows our thoughts, God who understands all our motives is coming to pass sentence on our behavior. Jesus said about the day that he comes, nothing will be hidden when God comes to judge. So we have a very serious situation. And let's see what it says. Verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. He is both prosecutor in the case, and he is judge. He will form the charges against us, and then as judge pass sentences, he says, I am God. Then he says, and I'm your God. I'm your God. So verse 8, I will not reprove thee for the sacrifices of thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Now the first impression... The people who read this originally, people of the Old Testament days, the first impression that those people would have is that God is angry because they didn't make the proper sacrifice. In Old Testament times, God wanted his people to bring a sacrifice to the temple for different reasons, sometimes for forgiveness, sometimes for thanksgiving. And to offer those sacrifices on the altar in the temple. And the people's first impression is that God is angry because we offered the wrong sacrifice. We must have not done it quite right. Maybe it needed to be a great big bull. Or maybe a perfect lamb we should have offered. Or maybe we offered two doves and it should have been a lamb. But we've done something wrong. We've made the wrong sacrifice. And God says, no, no. It is not the sacrifices that are wrong. I'm after something, he says, much more important. Verse 9, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. He says to those people, what do I want with your bull?" I don't want your goat. I own every deer and every elk and every moose in the whole forest. I own every buffalo and wildebeest and antelope on a thousand hills. And you think I want your little goat or your bull? No. Verse 11. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. A common sacrifice in that day was a pair of turtle doves. He says, you bring your sacrifice of two doves to offer to me. I own every turkey and every pheasant and every grouse that runs wild across the mountains. What do I want with your two pigeons? 
Every animal that runs through the fields is mine. What do I want with your puny little sacrifices? Verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine in the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? You think maybe if you bring me a calf and it's nice and fat and it's in perfect shape, that will please me? As if I want a better cut of meat? If I were hungry, is God ever hungry? <laughs> but he says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you. What do you think? That I eat beef and drink blood? No. You've got it all wrong. You have it upside down and backwards. You've done the whole thing wrong. You think wrong. You misunderstand me. You're confused over what I really want. I don't care about your bulls and goats and lambs and doves. You missed the whole point. Verse 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Here's where you went wrong. You brought a sacrifice and you brought it to the temple. You offered it on the altar and you said, there, and I'm all set. I did what God said to do. I made my sacrifice. God is happy. God says, no, I am not happy. Do you think I want your goats and sheep and cows? No, that's not what I want. I want your heart. I want you to say thank you. I want you to feel in your heart that I've forgiven all your sins. And when you feel that down deep in your heart, I want you to say, Oh God, thank you for saving my soul. And I promise God, I vow to live my life for you. And I will pray to see you, God, and to ask for help. My heart will pour out his prayer and I'll call on your name. That's what I want. But you brought me a sacrifice and you went home and you didn't feel anything. No gratitude, no love, no worship, no praise, no prayers, no promises, no nothing. You got it all wrong, upside down and backwards. You made your sacrifice, you went home, and you didn't feel a thing. As if that sacrifice was all I wanted. If you have no feeling and no thanksgiving and no heart to pray and no promises to make, I don't want your sacrifice. Keep it. Keep your animals. I don't want them. That's what was upside down and backwards. They thought all God wanted was a sacrifice and animal. No, no, no. God wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants your mind. He wants your strength. God wants your worship. And God wants your praise. And he wants your prayers. And he wants your promises made to him. And instead you come and offer your sacrifice and say, there I've done my duty. No, no, God says it's all upside down and backwards. Now you're going to say this morning, you're going to say to me, Eric, that was in the Old Testament time. 
We don't have that problem today. We don't have to make sacrifices. And I tell you, oh yes, we do. Maybe more than ever. How can that be? We don't offer animal sacrifices. Let me ask you this. Did you ever come to church and sing the song and hear the sermon and go home thinking, well, I went to church, I'm all set. I did what God wanted. But you never felt gratitude and you never said thank you to God. You never said to Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You never prayed to God. You never made a promise. Oh God, I want to serve you. I want to do your will. I want to do the things that please you. You never had those feelings. You just went to church, did your duty, and went home. Have you attended a service and had no emotional response to it? No feelings? Have you never felt drawn to God? Have you never longed to feel His presence? You just attended church? My friends, if so, it's upside down and backward. The judge has come to point out to you that you've done it wrong. You missed the point. God doesn't want an outside act to stand for an inside feeling. A sacrifice won't please God unless your heart is fully involved in it. And attending church won't please God unless your heart is fully involved. It's upside down and backwards. But now this warning is for God's people. Given so we can fix what's wrong. Here's a warning for people now who refuse to even be one of God's people. Verse 16. Unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to declare my statutes? Or thou that shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth, seeing that thou hatest instruction, castest my words behind thee. To people who refuse to obey God, he says, you won't do what I ask. You hear God's word, you refuse to obey it. You won't take instruction. And you say, I don't care what God's word says. In verse 18, when thou sawest a thief, thou consentest with him, and hast been a partaker with adulterers. I was given thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. You see a thief, and you cheer him on. That's what our society does. You see adultery, and you say, that's okay with me. You're not afraid to tell a lie. Verse 20. Thou sittest and speaketh against thy brother, and slanderest thine own mother's son. You fight and argue with your own family. Now verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine. Here's the real problem. This is a genius verse. Captures the real situation. God says, you thought I was like you. You thought I was just like you. You got a low opinion of God. You think, ah, oh, God doesn't care. He's not really concerned with what I do. God won't punish me. 
He's, he's bigger and better than we are, but he's just another person. He probably won't even notice me. God said, you think I'm like you. You think I view the world like you do. That I'll just casually let everything slide by and it'll all be okay. Well, here's God's answer to it. Verse 22. Consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces. There be none to deliver. That sends a chill up and down my spine. If you ignore me, he says, if you defy me, and you think I'll ignore you, he says right there, I'll tear you to pieces. You better consider it, he says. You better think about it. God means business. He is not to be trifled with. Finally, verse 23, Whosoever offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. Finally, he says, look up to God. See him as a great king, the king of kings, and as a judge of all the earth, and then praise him, straighten out your life, and God will save you. He'll help you. Pray to him. Call on his name. Be thankful to him. Praise his name. Feel it in your heart, and he'll be pleased with you. Don't do God's work upside down and backwards. Don't just go to church. Get it right and feel it. He loves you. He wants your heart to respond back to him and worship and praise and thank and bless his name. So may God bless you as your heart reaches out to him. And you get the main point. We come here to give our heart to Jesus and to give our feelings in our heart over to him. That's why we can, and I hope that's what you do. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. For the instruction that warns us, it's easy for something just to become a habit. We want it to be real when we come. We want our hearts to feel God and know him, that you will bless us, Lord, because of that. So come and fill our hearts, Lord. We're hungry for you. Fill our hearts. Make sure that we get it switched back right and do it right. And know that first is God in our heart, and after that comes all the rest. Bless us, Lord, we pray, as we hunger for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn with me in your hymn book, if you will. Page number 10, standing up as we sing. Page number 10, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Standing as we sing, page number 10, doing what the Bible says. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Page number 10 in your hymn books.
Dear Lord, we pray that when we come to you, our heart would be true and real. And that we would not come to you with just trying to check a box off in our life, not just trying to do something because we think it's the right thing to do, but that we would desire to have a relationship with you. We know that's what you want. We don't want anything beyond that. You want those deep and connecting and abiding relationships with us. You have asked us to come and be thankful, to come and have worship in our hearts, to know that you are the great and mighty God, the God whose name cannot even be spoken. And yet you have loved us. You have reached out your hand towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we just pray that our hearts would be changed and softened towards you. Take the hardness inside of us and help us to listen and to seek you, to have a true, meaningful relationship with you. We pray for all these things and we ask for protection and guidance as we go throughout this week. Help us to seek you throughout the week, wherever we are. Watch over us, we pray, and bring us back to this place. We ask in your name.